In this episode, I talk with John Callahan, who is the author of the number one best-selling pickleball book on Amazon. It's called Pickleball Tips, Lessons, Strategies, and Myths from a Certified Pickleball Professional and U.S. Open Gold Medal Winner. On the show, he talks about his book including the 10 myths of pickleball and how they impact your game. At the end of the interview, John also tells you how you can enter his contest to win a pickleball paddle of your choice when you purchase his book. So, let's get to the intro so we can hear more from John. Welcome to the Pickleball Fire Podcast, where it's all about pickleball. Today, I would like to welcome to the podcast, John Callahan. Welcome, John. Thank you very much, Lynn. It's a pleasure to be with you. Well, John, I know you've accomplished quite a bit in your pickleball career and done a ton of different things. And I want to get into a recent book that you've written on pickleball. But before that, I always like to start a little bit with somebody's origin. And I'm interested to know how you started playing pickleball and got involved in teaching pickleball. (laughs) Well, that's a great question. In 2016, I went up to uh, my local park where I grew up as a tennis player. And there were some people playing some funky game with wooden paddles and looked like a wiffle ball. And I walked over and watched them for a sec. And they said, hey, why don't you jump in and play with us? So I did for about five minutes, drove straight to the sports store, bought three paddles. The next day, my two sons and I went out, played. And uh, I liked the game. I liked it immediately. And then we started playing a little bit more. And then a former tennis student of mine, I'd been a teaching pro, was taking asked to take a tennis lesson. And afterwards, she said, she'd been a state champion. She said, I want to start competing on a national level. Would you be my coach? And I said, well, I would, but I've fallen in love with pickleball. <laughs> and so that just, the realization of that just got me started. And then I was just so fortunate to meet some great people including Mike Chapin in St. Louis and Dave Weinbach and Coach Body, Coach Maddie. And, and then I just went, I just went all in and I've been a hundred percent focused on pickleball seven days a week teaching since 2017. And I had my academies located several different facilities here in St. Louis and was fortunate to have some students of mine win the U S open and compete at the U S open at a very high level. Well, I'm I'm curious, are your sons still playing and are you the best of the bunch? Well, I I can't say who's the best, but I can say that dad lost. So we played on Thanksgiving Day and it was just an absolute ball. Well, that's great. Are you talking about just this past year on Thanksgiving? Yes. Well, good deal. Well, it sounds like you've come such a long way in such a short period of time, because if you think about it, you started playing pickleball in 2016. And I know you had that tennis background to, but to get to that point, you know, become certified by multiple groups for instruction, and then actually writing a book that's right now the number one bestseller on Amazon about pickleball. How did, how did that all happen so quickly? Well, thank, thank you very much. You know, it seemed to me like the early days of the internet business in the sense that it was rapidly growing, fragmented, and underserved. 
And I just made a 100% commitment and, you know, was fortunate enough to be asked to be the pickleball pro at a leading facility in St. Louis, as well as the tennis pro. And after about a year, I completely segued to all pickleball. And then one of my students who had won, uh, won a gold medal in the U.S. Open became one of my students. And then she asked me to play. And so we played the U.S. Open and we were fortunate enough uh, to win. But the funniest and the most valuable part of it was in the finals, we met another student of mine. So I was playing with a student against a student in the finals of the U.S. Open, and it was just delightful. Well, that's an incredible incredible amount of success that both you and your students have had in, in the game. I mean, how, how do you explain that? Do you just have really good athletes, or do you think it's actually the instruction? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Well, I think we both know the answer. And the answer is that, you know, it's the students. And some of them were great athletes. And some came from professional sports background. And some had never played a sport before in their life. And this, their enjoyment of pickleball is not only making their lives happier and healthier, but it's the greatest athletic accomplishments that they've had. And that's why the first two chapters of my book are one is advice for players transitioning from tennis, and the second one is uh, advice for players with little or, no, little or no sports background. And so can you give a couple tips without giving a whole lot away in terms of how you teach those people and what the tips are? Well, certainly. They're all based on what, what I've learned from my students. And uh, what I would say is that from, from someone coming from a racket sports background, it's important to have a pickleball epiphany. And that is that you've got to recognize that pickleball is a unique game. It can leverage all the skill sets that you have, but at some point you have to accept the uniqueness of pickleball and that there's strategy that is unique to pickleball. From, from those that have uh, little, or, little or no sports background, this is the first time really that they've they've competed. And most of them have an inner athlete inside of them that just for whatever reason hasn't come out. So their objective is or their need is to immediately focus on the basics. You know, that is, let's have the right grip. Let's have the right footwork. Let's have discernment. Let's make the right shots at the right time. Let's recognize that ready position is more important than court position. Let's not fall for what's also featured in my book is the 10 dangerous myths. Yeah, I was actually going to ask you about that. I mean, that's a really interesting concept. And I don't think I've really read much about pickleball myths. Can you share a couple? Well, certainly. And, you know, with 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 your background, I was thinking of I mentioned your volleyball background and, you know, the endorsement that we received from Terry Clemens, the, you know, winning his volleyball coach in history. But it also reminded me of the quote from John Wooden, be fast, don't hurry, from your basketball days. In terms, in terms of the myths, the things that we hear that I think hold people back include myths like run faster, uh, get to the kitchen line no matter what. Hit your serve as hard as you can. You know, number five is uh, hit the ball as close to the top of the net as you can. And 
So it's myths like that that hold people back. Put more spin on the ball. You know, go for the lines. So that's just a sample of the 10 dangerous myths. And I think when we recognize those, then our game can improve immediately. The rallies will last longer. We'll have a lot more fun playing. Well, yeah, I think the getting to the kitchen line as fast as possible is something that, you know, for one thing, not everybody can do. The older you get, the harder it is to get up there, you know, to the line in a timely manner. I mean, the, the young guys in their 20s have no problem at all. How, how do you help kind of the older crowd do something like that? Well, the whatever their mobility is, we want to recognize that ready position is more important than court position. So instead of running through the ball, we want to stop before we hit the ball. So when we talk about moving from the baseline to the non-volley zone, we're talking about moving from, as Scott Moore would say, no man's land or no woman's land. It's really the transition area. And so I like to think about it as playing hockey from the transition area. And by that, I mean that the ready position is similar to that of a hockey goalie. Well, I love that analogy because I, my family's from Canada, so I spent a lot of time uh, watching hockey. Yeah, that, that definitely makes a lot of sense. So in thinking about your book, why did you decide to write a book? Because there are a few out there. Well, I took extensive notes on my lessons and I, I always had a written lesson plan. And so I found that not only were my lesson plans similar going in, they're always modified based on the students' individual needs, but then that my notes afterwards and what seemed to resonate with the students, there were, at the end of the day, 35 favorite lessons, if you will, lesson topics that came out. And I did feel that there was a opportunity to dispel some of these dangerous myths that you hear out and about from well-meaning people that want to coach you while you're playing. And uh, it turns out that one of my students suggested I write a book. And uh, he said, why don't you focus on the content and I'll line up the team that we need to bring it home. And so that's what we did. Well, that's great. And I'm sure that was really a lot of work. Are you planning to do any um, videos also to promote the book and the sport more? Well, it's so we've been we've been approached to create videos from our academy, and uh, we we simply haven't made a decision yet in terms of how we can do that and really provide provide unique value to the participants of this fabulous sport, whether they're casual players or core players or industry professionals. And then it looks like right now, all the clinics you do are in the St. Louis area. Are you ever going to th think about doing a, a road trip in terms of teaching clinics or doing destination type clinics? Um, perhaps right now in this, in the COVID world that uh, we're living in, we're staying pretty much uh, close to home. And the other thing is that I really enjoy the progression of the students. And so, you know, our, our, our students take it's, it's not a one and done type thing. So we're able to see them progress from 
beginners to intermediates to advanced players. We're able to see them advance from tournament, from advanced players to tournament champions. So that ongoing relationship, I think, motivates motivates us. And I know you've had students who have had success, certainly at different tournaments. Are you mostly focused? I mean, it sounds like kind of your teaching style is you, you kind of run the gamut in terms of the level of players that you're with, or or is it that you have more of a focus like on the beginning and their intermediate, maybe not as much on the 4.0, 4.5 players? No, we have a broad cross-section the of, you know, Four zero and four five plus players that are primarily focused on tournament preparation, on down to beginners that are just uh, coming into the game. So we really run that spectrum of you know casual core and uh, you know very competitive tournament players. And does your book focus on those three groups also? It it does, and the re- the reason I say that is that even a high-level tournament player will get something out of the book. Certainly, beginners and intermediates and you know, local tournament players, if you will, will see an immediate improvement in their game. Well, let's focus on the tournament level for a minute. And you mentioned tournament preparation. I always think that you know, that's something that's really important because I think really most of the time when you win in a sport, if you're playing in a tournament, it it's so has so much to do with what you've done before you've actually gone to that tournament. So talk to me a little bit about tournament preparation and what that involves. I would say it comes down to three things, and that is discernment, reducing unforced errors, and strategy. So when I say discernment, what we mean is that we are not willy-nilly attacking balls. I don't want to get into a 50-50 firefight, 50% likely that I'm going to win firefight with somebody else that is a very good volleyer. I want to hit strategic shots. And then when I have an 80-20 opportunity, that's when I'll hit the winner. So discernment strategy and reducing unforced errors is the way to improve your game. And in terms of the strategy, is that mostly double strategy or do you also cover single strategy too? Well, that, that, that's a great question. And, and the answer is double strategy. We are going to be focused more and more on single strategy, but right now we are 98% focused on double strategy. Right. And that makes sense. I mean, since so many of players play doubles as opposed to the singles. Exactly right. And I noticed in just taking a look on Amazon, you know, at the contents of your book, you also cover warm-ups and drills. And I, I think warm-ups is something that really most people warm up very little, especially at the beginner and intermediate levels. I So how do you convince people to do a proper warm-up and what does that consist of? You know, if if we could, you know, make everyone there, if we could make, you know, all beginners aware of this, I think it would be a great benefit uh, to them. The way we do that, is that we will let the student warm up as they typically do, and then we'll play a game. And then after that game, I'll stop and say, okay, how do you feel about that? Where were the unforced errors, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then we'll go back and we'll do our warm up. 
which is a comprehensive warm-up of the shots that you're going to hit from the baseline, from the transition area, and from the non-volley zone line. So that in the next game, when they hit a forehand down the line from the baseline, well, they've already hit 10 during their warm-up. When they settle a volley, well, they've already hit 10. When they hit a cross-court dink or a dink to six inches behind their opponent's backhand ankle, they've already done that. When they hit an overhead for a winner or to set up the next shot, which is a winner, they've already done that in their warm-up. They've already hit 10 serves. They've already hit cross-court forehands. They've already hit a down-the-line backhand. They've already hit 10 balls as a hockey goalie from the transition area. Yeah, that definitely would make them much more ready for those things in, in the game if you've got that good warm-up going. That, that's correct. And then they see, oh, this is how I want to warm up all the time. That's the objective. Well, that's great. I mean, you're you're starting to sound like, you know, one of my high school or college coaches, <laughs> which is well, a good thing. Thank you very much. Well, one of the things I was wondering is have you started teaching the drop serve yet? Because that was all a buzz, you know, over the internet and Facebook about new rules for 2021 and pickleball is a person being able, having the option to essentially drop the ball and hit a serve. And of course, there's lots of technique that goes with that. But what are your thoughts on teaching that? Well, I'm just trying to think how how quickly we can get that into our book. <laughs> that was actually the question I was going to ask. But, I, so, <laughs> but, 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 but the answer is that over the last 72 hours, the answer is, is yes. And it's more just so that our academy students are aware of the latest rule changes, including that and how a let serve is handled. And so how do you teach a drop serve when probably coming from a tennis background, you didn't hit that serve very often? No, it, it, but it kind of looks like the forehand that you hit against the wall 500 times a day. So I'm not, I'm not focused on it. We're, we're not spending a lot of time on it. I simply wanted our academy students to be aware of the rule change and that they're dropping it and they're hitting like a low to high forehand. Right. That's actually a great analogy because being a racquetball player, dropping the ball and hitting the serve for me is very natural, but you're right. It's actually akin to when you hit it against the wall. And, and it's very interesting. One of the most popular chapters in the book is on the serve. And in fact, it's such an integral part of people's enjoyment of the game that I changed the title of the chapter to welcome to your happy serve. <laughs> that's, that's good. That's good. <laughs> because I, I, I wanted I want our students to enjoy the process of serving and to feel confident that they had a good-looking and effective serve. And how would you describe an effective serve? Well, one that is middle deep and goes in consistently. And so consistently, is that 99% of the time would be a goal? 100% of the time would be the goal? Uh, yes. Yeah, very different than a tennis serve, isn't it? Uh, right. Well, we have two in tennis. True. Yeah. Just like, <laughs> just, just so like here, in racquetball, right? You know, here, here, you know, here we have here we have one. So I I think that over time the serve is becoming is being used more aggressively to set up a 
to elicit a weaker return that enables you to hit, enables the serving team to hit a better third shot, whether it's a drop or a drive. Very true. Yeah, I interviewed a friend of mine from racquetball from years ago, Jackie Parizo, and that was exactly what she talked about is, you know, I use my serve as a weapon. And she says, yeah, I came into pickleball and I don't understand why people aren't really using it a bit more aggressively. So I think definitely with the drop serve, that's that's coming soon. Well, all right. In terms of, I always like to ask somebody what paddle they like to use and why do they use that particular paddle? How about you, John? Selkirk Invicta. And why do you use that one? I enjoy the feel of it. I'd had a, a tennis racket and a ping pong paddle in my hand since I was 10. And when I was at the uh, U.S. Open in 2018, I uh, went to the Selkirk booth to thank them for, just told them how much I enjoyed playing with their paddle. And uh, Rob said, well, why do you try this one? And he handed me handed me one. And I said, well, I, I didn't come here for that. I just came to say thanks. He said, no, I want you to have this paddle. So I played with it in the rest of the U.S. Open. And so I'm a big fan. Wow. So you switch paddles in the middle of a tournament. That's quite a feat. Well, I, I switched within the same uh, brand. True. But even that can make a difference. Yeah. Yeah. So I know that there are, uh, you know, a number of good paddle, ma- paddle manufacturers out there and with some new entrants also that really serve to really validate the the you know, recent the the growth of pickleball, but also the future of pickleball. You know, th- these major manufacturers are not getting into the business because it's a stagnant opportunity. Very true. It's amazing the growth, and you know, it, it's been even I think more incredible with COVID nineteen because pickleball was a fairly friendly sport in terms of you know not having as much contact as some other sports. Well, that, that that's exactly right. And I had an opportunity to listen to Morgan Evans and Edward Hector from the CEO of Pickleball Central recently. And Edward was mentioning the growth of the game actually dur- at, over the last six months. Very true. And that's something I could definitely see in my area too. There's just been so many new courts. And one of the things I put on the Pickleball Fire website as news comes out about new courts, I include them on, on my site. And, you know, the courts were definitely just jam-packed, no doubt. So, well, and, 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 you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of reasons why people have, you know, chosen to play pickleball during this time, either to play more or to adopt. I mean, you're outside, there's some some natural so, social distancing that takes place. You have the ability to play at home. That's why all the nets were sold out. Right. Yes. And I, I bought a regulation net also. I had a small net here and I paved where my RV was. So I had a much bigger area, although not quite as big as a regulation court. So yeah, I was definitely one of those people who bought a net. Mm-hmm. Well, all right. Just a couple things to finish up here then. One of the things I wanted to mention is for the listeners of the Pickleball Fire podcast and for people who are regular users of my website, you've got a special contest for them. Can you tell the listeners about that? Certainly. Those subscribers who purchase our book on Amazon 
will be entered uh, into a contest uh, and they can win the free paddle of their choice. All they have to do is pick out what paddle is they want up to $200 and uh, we will get it to them. The, that'll be awarded on January 1st. So they simply need to you know, purchase the book before then. And is that a is that an ebook or is it actually a hard copy? Uh, it's a paperback book that's available on Amazon, and it is just you know filled with a lot of photos and everything that I've mentioned, and it's 152 pages. And what did you say the price of the book is? Uh, it's 18.95. Okay. Well, that sounds great. I mean, that's very generous, John. And uh, yeah, for so basically the contest is. For if you buy the book between now and January 1st, a winner will be drawn and will receive a free paddle of your choice up to $200, correct? That's right. All they need to do is send an email to me with Pickleball Fire as the subject line by December uh, December 31st, and we'll make that award on January 1st. So they can reach me via email. John at CallahanPickleball.com or on Facebook, Callahan Pickleball, or they can reach me via LinkedIn, John R. Callahan. All right. Well, great, John. Thanks for being on the podcast. Enjoyed it very much, Lynn. Thank you for listening to the Pickleball Fire podcast. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to give it a five-star review on Apple iTunes.